And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Miko Matsumura. Miko is a general partner at Gummy Ventures, a US $30 million investment fund focused on early stage blockchain startups he's also a co-founder of the crypto exchange Evercoin. Miko fell in love with open source software 25 years ago as chief evangelist for the Java language and platform at Sun Microsystems. Since then, he has been building open source startups in Silicon Valley, including raising over $50 million in venture capital for developer platform companies such as Gradle and financial infrastructure companies such as Hazelcast. He has participated in multiple exits, including Infravio, Web Methods, and DB40. He is an advisor in successful startups like Celsius, Idle Finance, Pundi X, and Keyless. He has been an investor with Focus Ventures, a firm with over $800 million under management, nine IPOs, and 44 exits, and blockchain firm Pantera Capital. He holds a master's degree in neuroscience from Yale, where he worked on abstract computational neural networks. He is a name in blockchain, crypto, DeFi. What did we speak about? We spoke about the future of DeFi. We, we spoke about the growth of crypto markets. Is it stable? Is it going to continue to grow? We spoke about some basics of blockchain, crypto, and DeFi. We also spoke about uh, biggest misconceptions about blockchain and just some incredible entrepreneurial lessons that he's lived throughout his career and that now he imparts on some of the startups that he works with. I hope you enjoy Let's jump into it. This is Miko Matsumuro, general partner, serial entrepreneur, and crypto blockchain DeFi evangelist. Uh, It's really, uh, I think I have to go like way, way back, and I'm hoping it's not too grinding, but like, you know, I think I was always sort of a computer nerd. And when I reflect on it, uh, I really think that the thing that I was most seeking is like fairness and like order right so rules like a a, you know basically a place where i could go 
where it was peaceful and, and everything was orderly and lawful, you know? So th I think that's why I became sort of a computer nerd. My first computer was an Atari 400. Uh, it had a 16K of RAM, which is pretty amazing. Like these days, you can't even put like a GIF image into a 16K. Like, <laughs> they, like it's pretty small. And, you know, I really just kind of was geeking out the, the with that the whole time. Now, it's so it's so crazy because, you know, the journey I've been on is just extremely nonlinear. I'm three years now into venture capital as a general partner, you know, and before that, like 25 or so years in entrepreneurship, uh, you know, and and before that, uh, academia. So, you know, I went I went to uh, Yale University for neuroscience. So I was really studying uh, mostly abstract uh, neural networks and computation. So I, I kind of have a bit of an AI background, but you know, it just turned out with the twists and turns that I got. I got really interested in uh, open source software, you know. And I think really, if if you want to stitch it all together from the get go, like I think the biggest theme that kind of stitches every phase together is really this quest for kind of fairness and like a better like a better world, you know? So I, I think machine adjudicated rules kind of for me have always been, you know, whether it was kind of dealing with, you know, growing up in, in Michigan and, you know, I really kind of retreated to my computer as just this very peaceful place where everything followed rules, you know? And if something was going wrong, you know, it was because you made it wrong, <laughs> you know, and yep. you needed to fix, fix your software and, you know, things will be set to right, right? So in a sense, it was just this ultimately, uh, it's just an amazingly kind of judgmental environment and, you know, in a way, an amazingly harsh environment, right? Because, you know, you just make one little tiny, tiny mistake, the thing is completely like doesn't do what you want, you know, and, and that kind of like crucible, you know, gives you these lifelong lessons you know and ultimately you kind of start steering towards the idea of freedom as being uh you know the uh, the option of uh basically submitting to different sets of rules right so that that's kind of the way i i see human freedom now is i just see it as you consent to abide by a set of rules and and that gives you freedom the thing that i think ultimately gives you freedom is the ability to withdraw your consent and to have uh, a decent place to go, right? Like if, if you have no decent place to go, then you can't, you're not free, right? So even if you're in a system that you consented to, you can't withdraw your consent if you don't have like a safe place to go, right? So in, a, in essence, like choice is really important. But, it, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's all, this is very philosophical, but I think you're probably I, talking I understand where this is going. <laughs> You're talking to a crazily philosophical guy, so you know it's it's kind of my nature to think to reason about this. But you know, this is really how I got into open source software. You know, mm -hmm. and open source is about nonviolence, disarmament, and choice, right? Which is basically, if I'm writing software and I open source it, I'm basically surrendering it before the relationship even starts. I'm surrendering my ability to coercively control you. I can't control you because of my control over the software because you can just leave, right? Like, so the idea of like fork it and go, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's essential to my idea of what freedom is, right? Because, you know, if you can imagine if you're living in a home that's unsafe, 
right? Having a safe place where you can go is is like the only way you can actually have freedom, right? If you have nowhere to go, you're trapped. You're just stuck mm-hmm. there in this kind of hellish scenario, right? But like if you have a safe place to go, right? So imagine with open source software that you can actually just replicate the place where you are exactly and then subtract the parts you don't like anytime you want, right? And anyone who wants to come with you to this new version is free to do so, right? That's that's this idea of like forking a blockchain, right? Is you can fork it and you can just change the things you want to change. So the thing to me that's very beautiful about this, so this is kind of ultimately how I landed from open source software all the way to kind of blockchain technology, which of course is in a large part open source. So that, that's been my kind of musing and fascination, you know, since I was, uh, you know, 14 years old sitting in my house, you know, just playing on my computer. <laughs> But but even blockchain is is an attempt at freedom from institute from ingrained entrenched institutional systems, right? That's yeah, that's what that's it is. Bingo. And the thing that's fascinating is is that the existing systems aren't able to offer a, a freedom. They're not able to. And the reason why I assert they're not able to is is even if you like it there you still don't have a choice. Like you don't have an alternative financial system where you can basically choose to go, but now you do, right? So, you know, what what has emerged out of blockchain technologies is this alternative financial system. And the thing that it does is it, it does two things, right? The first thing it does is it, it competes for consent. So, you know, what that means is, is that it's trying to serve you the best right and if you don't like it you don't you shouldn't you shouldn't come over right so so it, in essence but the other thing that it's doing other than providing an alternative is it does what all alternatives do which is it keeps the competition honest right so it actually now says i'm going to compete for your consent so the existing system must also compete for your consent, right? And if you like me better, then you'll come over here. And if you don't like it, then you'll stay, right? Which is like, what a nice thing, right? So it helps everyone. And what I mean by it helps everyone is, is, you know, let's say there's a safe place where you can escape. Like, let's say it's a safe home, right? And let's say it's in a neighborhood that's a lot like where you live, right? So like the existence of that is great for people that need a safe place to go, right? They need to go somewhere, so they're gonna go and that gives them freedom, right? If you like where you are, then you should stay, right? So, it, it, but, it gives, but what, I'm, what I'm suggesting to you is it gives you freedom too. Even if you don't go over there, the existence of that gives you the ability to withdraw consent. So if, if, if suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're like, okay, the system was working beautifully for me and now it's not. So now I have a place to go, right? And even if you don't ever go there, it's still going to keep the system you're in honest, right? Because, you know, because of that competition. So, you know, I, that's that's really kind of the mindset that, uh, you know, I'm excited about. Because, you know, when we talk about this kind of blockchain tech, like Satoshi Nakamoto created this entire paradigm around fork it and go, right? That's what he created. And so in a sense, like, you know, that means we're, you know, I'm not like a Bitcoin maximalist because like the whole point of it is, is anyone can fork it at any time. 
And if they don't like anything, they can just change it, right? And so a lot of people are like, oh, I don't like this feature. I don't like that feature. Like, great, fork it and go. Like, you know, uh, if it's better, everyone will go with, with your version. Everyone will but, leave if it's better. So the issue, the issue with the evolution of this environment is that you have these highly technical individuals that adopt and, and subscribe to that mindset. But for the rest of the world that is just trying to keep up and understand because of the ability to fork it and go and to just create new and to create business and to create uh, you know alternative blockchains and to create uh, different applications and whatnot, it's very hard to keep up and to figure out what's good and what's not, which is really, oh, right? That's the, that's the issue. You're in it. You see what's good. You see, you can, you can, besides being a venture capitalist, you understand the actual technology, but then you also work with these, you know, these founders and these developers day in, day out. So the people behind certain other projects, obviously not Bitcoin, but other projects, like some of the ones that you've invested in, some of the ones that I'm sure that, you know, you work with every single day, you have an idea of what works and what doesn't and why it would work or why it doesn't make any sense but you're you're deep like you're you're in the weeds um so that's the issue that everybody's running into right i think that is very very legitimate right which is that it is like this revenge of the nerds type of a universe and <laughs> the thing that i think is so important is this right which is i think to me uh if i were to give any single advice to people who are new in this area is i would say like don't be in a big hurry, right? Like, like just go in, don't invest like a huge amount. Like just, just see what happens, right? Cause the yeah. point is, is like, there's some games where you consent and I call them games, right? I'm talking about a system of rules that you consent to operate under, right? So this could include a country where there mm -hmm. are laws or it can include a monetary system like a Bitcoin, or it can include open source software. It can include a literal kind of a video game, right? Like all of these systems have rules that you consent to agree to. So the thing is, is that oftentimes the rule sets are complex, right? It could even it could even be like a cult that you want to join, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, I want to join this cult, right? So so there's all these weird rules, and you're kind of like, okay, I don't, I consent to these rules until I don't, right? And so so there's this process that I call that that's called mechanism discovery, right? So mechanism discovery is is you play, right? You play around and you're like, you know, it's just like going to a new country or a new place. You just you're at first you're a little bit like, I don't know what the deal is here, you know? And and you know, you can immediately be like, I don't like the way people are acting, you know. But maybe if you have curiosity and maybe if you're like these seem like okay people like you know then maybe you kind of are like well why do they keep doing that or why do they keep saying that after a while you might discover that there's some pretty cool stuff behind that right you might discover like oh wow like i get why they're acting like that that's so different right and then you kind of grow as a human right so or 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 it's a cult <laughs> and you mm -hmm, show up yeah. there and after after a little while you're like wow like <laughs> this whole freaking deal is rigged against me like they're they're trying to like mess with me and like take over and you know steal my house i don't know what they're doing but like my point is is that um that's why the ability to withdraw consent is so important for any reason at any time or for no reason at all Right. Like if, if you just are like, oh, I, I'm done here, like, boom, yeah. you should be able to get out. Now, the thing that's a little unfortunate is that there are systems in 
blockchain and in the Bitcoin area where you can't leave. Right. Like, like, for example, in in some cases where there's like a scam, like you mm -hmm. deposit a bunch of money and then you go over to the withdraw section. You're like, OK, I'm ready to withdraw. I'm, I'm kind of sick of this place. And you click withdraw and then it just there's some oh, it's a, it's a software bug. Like, you know, you, you can't get your things out ever. Right. So like and how many you know, times have you you see that in the news every month? Right. I think there was just happened, one in South Africa. It was like three billion to uh it was just just like last week but it, it happens all it's the time a, it's a little unclear uh one of the really funny things about that is there was reporting about it that had their website and a past version of their website fairly recent actually was bragging about how they have like a hundred million in assets right and so like oh, it's okay. unclear that it's as big as 3.6 billion that is definitely what was reported uh you know if so it's the largest uh, so-called hack in Bitcoin history. But, you know, I, I think that, um, but you're absolutely right. Like that, that's an example, right? That's an example where it's like, oh, you can deposit, but you can't withdraw. Um, that's a problem, right? Like, mm -hmm. so, so, you know, and obviously that's, um, you know, that's the opposite of freedom, right? Because you can't leave, right? You, you, your assets can't leave, right? And so, so part, and part of, part of, part, I love this, by the way, I, I actually love the philosophical, the way that you, you first went into this. I appreciate that a lot because that really helps frame it for somebody who is trying to understand the nuance of what Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, DeFi is. So um, one, one thing that I would also point out is, and I just, I was watching one of your pieces, you did like the surviving the wild west of DeFi. And I think there's a lot of great lessons in that for people that are seeing DeFi and trying to figure out what the hell it is. And even people that understood blockchain and, and Bitcoin before, and then what's DeFi. So, um, one thing that is important, though, is sometimes it's not the system that's, like you said, it's not always a system. Of course, the system, if they scam you, they scam you, and the system doesn't let you leave. But also, it's your own personality. It's your own, um, it's your own perhaps, over-indexing on, on a system and over-trusting on a system before you fully understand it, which has led to issues. And you yeah, spoke about that, that a lot. That is absolutely core, right? Which is, I think to me, people don't have a really good sense of like risk management, right? So if you watch professional asset managers like venture capital, right? One of the key principles is diversification, right? Because, you know, the thing that's really important to ask yourself is like, do I know what I'm doing, right? And the, by the way, the definition, so if you read the book Zero to One by Peter Thiel, Right. He effectively defines an investor as someone who doesn't know what to do. Right. And the reason he defines it that way is is an entrepreneur is someone who is basically, quote unquote, knows what to do because they're just doing the thing. Right. They're, you know, so, for example, if you take, you know, his most famous investment, Facebook. Right. Like if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you're not diversifying. You're just going to go one thousand million percent into Facebook because that's the thing. Right. And so the thing that so by investing, you're immediately someone who doesn't know what to do. Right. Because you're diversifying, you know, and so diversification is a very fundamental pattern of dealing with risk. Right. So so in a sense, like if you think about it, like, uh, you know, one approach is play. Right. So when I mm -hmm. describe play, right, the idea becomes that, you know, play has to be based on a losable amount. 
right? So I kind of call this like Grand Canyon money. Imagine you're at the lip of the Grand Canyon and you're throwing an amount of money into the Grand Canyon, right? Like, so whatever that amount is for you, like that's probably your first kind of Bitcoin purchase amount, you know? So if it's $5 or if that's too much, maybe it's like a buck 50 or whatever you can imagine <laughs> throwing yeah. into the Grand Canyon, right? Cause you know, and obviously like, you know, if you're picturing throwing your life savings into the Grand Canyon, like, you know, like good luck, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I, I think broadly speaking, like that's, that's, that's the first thing, right? Play. And then I think as you start to kind of get your feet uh, wet, then diversification, right? Where you basically take the number of Grand Canyon units and you maybe multiply that by like three or four and then you try three or four different things, you know, and, and each time you're kind of learning more and more about these games, you know, and as you learn more, you have a better and better chance of like deriving your own opinion. Cause that's the thing that I think is unfortunate is, you know, the existence of influencers in crypto is like just human weakness. Like it, it mm -hmm. it's really, it's been, you know, it's been a toxic effect because, you know, most of the so-called influencers are, are you know, they're self-interested parties, right? They're, they're basically predatory. So, you know, that, that's, so just, just blindly following what other people tell you to buy on the internet is, is just provably bad. For, for any reason, but especially when it comes to investing your money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If somebody is telling you to invest in something on the internet, uh, you know, you should, you should question their motives. Right. And, and you yeah. certainly should, you know, I mean, I, I taught, I have a show and I interview, like I've interviewed over a hundred founders, you know, and, uh, you know, every time it is something that I have made an investment and in, I certainly do disclose that and you need to kind of judge for yourself whether and how much that's influencing the way I think and talk about this. But, you mm -hmm. know, uh, as, as it happens, like I'm a human. And so like, you know, it turns out that I get excited about things and then I invest in them, you know? So if I talk about them in a way that's excited, it's because I was excited to begin with as soon as I saw this. But, you know, I, I think everyone should, you know, watch and watch how people behave and understand what their interests are. Um. What is your is your because you've invested in a in a variety of different startups so um you've invested in some in some various blockchain applications but you're speaking a lot about DeFi now so why the is is DeFi just a big a major focus for I guess is that like the next iteration where all the the founders that's what they're really focusing on various applications of decentralized finance. Um, what is, why is DeFi such a big thing right now in, in 2021? I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Canva. They put together a special offer for all Success Story podcast listeners. Go to canva.me slash success story if you want to take advantage. But what is Canva? Well, making content is an essential part of what I do to keep the show going, but it hasn't always been easy. Canva Pro allows me to design anything like a pro on any device. And I've been using Canva Pro for a while now for all content, for all social that I create for success story. So Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create stunning content with just a few clicks. Designing with Canva Pro is fast and fun. You choose from thousands of templates for any type of creative, any type of device, or you can start from scratch as well. Canva Pro has endless premium fonts, photos, videos, so much more to add personality and edge to whatever it is you're creating. You don't have to go out and purchase any licenses or extra tools 
or extra photo rights, everything's included. And if you work in a team, you can use Canva Pro with your team as well to keep everybody organized, all focused on top of all the team projects all in one spot. And most recently, they've added on a content planner. So you'll save time planning, creating, and posting social media content as well. You can schedule posts. You can pause schedule posts. You can edit them at any time. They are truly a content creator's dream. So if you want to design like a pro and use Canva Pro, right now you get an extended 45-day trial. You cannot get this just by going to Canva. You have to go through the link they set up for Success Story podcast listeners. Canva.me slash success story. You get a free 45-day extended trial. So you can try Canva Pro, all the features. They give you everything. Canva.me slash success story. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Posty. Now, it's no lie that in the competitive world of marketing, advertisers, marketers are trying to find a way to better connect and get in front of their audience. I've been trying to figure that out my entire career. You want to accelerate the growth of your company and you want to reach new customers with measurable results. But most of the existing channels are oversaturated. There's so much noise out there. So the best marketers are turning to direct mail, but wait for it, direct mail reinvented. One of the best kept secrets in marketing is that direct mail gets close to 100% open rate and is one of the most impactful ways to market a product or service, but it's expensive and it's cumbersome. Posty is transforming direct mail. They're adding all the digital marketing capabilities, tracking, KPIs, analytics that you would normally see in Google, Facebook, or YouTube paid campaigns. They're adding that to direct mail. Basically, Posty allows you to set up direct mail campaigns like a digital marketer. So it's a one-stop shop for building audiences, setting up campaigns with A-B tests, approving creative, tracking results in real time. It also integrates into your CRM, which allows you to build lookalike models from over 250 million US customers. You also have just as many targeting options as Facebook or as Google. And on top of all of this, it's fully automated. So you are operating all these campaigns from a web browser, from your laptop, and Posty takes care of all the printing and logistics and the mailing so that you are just pressing go. It's like direct mail with an easy button. Posty Campaigns allows you to attract new customers, retarget your website visitors and track conversions, re-engage your existing customers and increase their total lifetime value. For anyone that is looking to start, grow, scale a business, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the Success Story podcast audience. This can really elevate your marketing if you start using direct mail day one and Posty makes it really easy. It will make you stand out as a company. When you get a piece of mail, no one else is doing that. So if you want to get your free Posty demo, they've set up a special link. So go to posty.com slash success story. That is posty.com slash success story. They'll give you a free demo because Posty is direct mail reinvented for the digital world and the people that use something different, something that makes them stand out to market to their customers will be the people who win. And direct mail definitely has that edge. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, DeFi, DeFi is like uh, effectively a killer application for blockchain technologies, right? Because the thing that powers it is the idea of programmable money, right? Mm-hmm. And so the thing that becomes fascinating is how much automation and how much kind of um, sort of excitement that you can get by kind of having automation 
kind of taking over finance. So you have properties in DeFi like transparency, you have properties like uh, pseudonymity, you have properties like um, automated liquidation, you know, so you have all these really, really super powerful properties that enable uh, this kind of decentralized finance system to scale much, much bigger than traditional finance, you know, which is subject to really complicated uh, issues. So, you know, we, we definitely are exceedingly bullish because, you know, ultimately blockchain, you know, back in 2017, you know, it was mostly just speculative projects, mm -hmm. you know, that, that never delivered, right? Whereas we're sitting here in 2021 and, you know, we kind of already have a whole bunch of killer applications in DeFi. So like DeFi is, it's real, it's real software, it's shipped. The shipped software is carrying economic value, you know, and that value is, is moving around, uh, you know. So it's a, that that to me is like really proof positive that this stuff works and it actually does what it says on the tin and that, that people are actually now getting value out of it. Because I think in a way, like obviously there's sort of a speculative value, but I think that mm -hmm. what's more important is that these systems serve, you know, users, right? And when you th if you think about DeFi users, those users are basically, you know, opting into a financial system, you know, and they're getting financial utility out of this financial system. So that that's why they're using it and that's why they're doing it. And, you know, they're they're doing it quite a lot. So the difference between the difference between DeFi and excuse my ignorance, but say no, Bitcoin. So Bit, Bitcoin is just an asset that you're going to invest in, like a gold or a silver. Um has obviously has no uh has no application in terms of replacing an existing uh, process, for example, DeFi would ex replace potential ex existing processes much more efficiently, can scale it to, a, you know, scale it globally. Um, but does it also, ha it also has an investment component. So that's, so there's still an investment component. There could be an appreciating asset, depreciating asset that's layered onto these uh, decentralized finance applications or are those things separate is there no more investment yeah, yeah, yeah. Into... yeah no 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 it's absolutely fair to say right so broadly speaking the emergence of decentralized finance has produced an investable unit which is about effectively governance right so okay. you know effectively these kind of governance tokens are being used because effectively they allow for future participants in the network to govern the state of cash flows within mm -hmm. the network, right? So in, in, in effect, you know, those votes become uh, de facto control over the network. So that, that's kind of As how... opposed to a central authority that would have that... That's right. That that's governance right. power. So, yeah. Correct. So the governance is basically done, you know, in most cases by things like voting, yeah. uh, you know, by, by the stakeholders. So that's, that's what, uh, you know, we're seeing. Obviously, decentralized governance has kind of quite a, a ways to go before it hits maturity there's going to be a lot of tools a lot of incredible discoveries some chaos you know so it's it's definitely a young it's a young field but you know i think it's handling uh you know billions of of dollars in value you know on a daily basis so it's it's definitely uh you know reaching a, a critical point you know where it's it's effectively deterministically a thing you know with respect to kind of defining terms you know obviously defi is decentralized finance there are a lot of different definitions flying around right so i think it's it's important to kind of like you know 
stand on the, on a bit of a grounding, right? So mm-hmm. the way I look at it is is that it is about programmable uh, money, right? So you know, effectively, um, what it does is it secures the computations around transacting, right? So so it's effectively automation, right? Mm-hmm. So so you know, if you're doing lending or borrowing as a financial service you know, these, these are, they take the form of like vending machines, you know, so, yeah. so it's just these automated lending and borrowing systems. There's automated exchange systems, so-called automated market makers or AMMs, right? So basically just about everything in DeFi is automated, right? Because it's just a bunch of rules, right? So in a sense, yeah. it's sort of just like we going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, right? It's really just here are the rules. You can consent to playing by these rules, you know, and the thing that should give you some degree of confidence is the data is open, mm-hmm. it says transparent, so you can see everything that's going on. The code is open, so you can actually read the code and you can understand. I mean, you know, some some of us can understand uh, what yeah. what what what's going on, you know. And then and then further, uh, you know, that that all informs your consent, right? Where you're effect- effectively looking at it and you're like. I agree. I, I I can abide by that. And the thing that I think gives people confidence is machine adjudication, right? So mm-hmm. you, you can just say, okay, well, the machines will, will follow the rules. Like I'm very confident in this system that the machines are going to follow these rules. And I don't have to worry about someone trying to do, do something weird because, you know, because I think the machines will take care of the rules. So that's, that's the best. And, and I think that, and this is actually sort of a, as you see the, as you see the DeFi landscape evolving, you said it's still early on, but I think that what a lot of uh, a, a lot of issues that people had with early blockchain applications is they they couldn't easily replace a consumer application. The the interface, the the lack of ability for most people to understand and read into the code that that's a a major uh, inhibitor. So with some of these applications, maybe just like walk walk the audience through a practical example of something that does have significant market share versus its non decentralized counterpart that is easy for people to use. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, to me, it's so early days. So, you know, if we're gonna try to point at things that are easy for people to use, I think you're gonna have a hard time coming up with much, right? To be perfectly honest, uh, you know. No, it's fair. Thing that, fair. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, the reason why is that uh, it's really this thing uh, called uh, cryptographic custody is the problem, right? Which is, so I had a friend, so, you know, my fund is invested in something called OpenSea, which is sort of a, a non-fungible token. It's sort of a collectibles marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the biggest ones. Uh, and and the thing that's amazing is I, I, I had a friend try to buy an artist's NFT off of this website. And, you know, he ended up just really just being pissed off and he was kind of cursing a lot on Twitter because, you know, he was like, why is this so bad, right? Like, this is so hard to use and blah, 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 you know? And I think he's kind of got a certain point, right? Which is that in essence, like in in the normal traditional finance, there's something called a bank and a bank is an intermediary and you trust the bank, right? Mm -hmm. So in decentralized finance, you don't have to trust intermediaries, right? Because the intermediaries are basically all kind of automatically compliant to the rules that are governed by the software itself, right? So in a sense, like what happens is, is people become their own bank, 
right? So so if you bec- if you're if you're a bank, then you need kind of bank grade cybersecurity mm-hmm. procedures, you know. And so the point is is that self custody of cryptographic assets is still janky and hard and confusing and not ready for consumer prime time. So, you know, ultimately if you point, you know, to point at like consumer applications, you know, and say, okay, well, these are going to be the consumer applications that are ready for prime time in blockchain. They're all what you call custodial. And what I mean by custodial is, is that they all involve having a trusted intermediary. Right, because the okay. trusted intermediary handles the custody. That's how Coinbase works, by the way. Right, so Coinbase, every user of Coinbase has to trust Coinbase. Right, and if Coinbase decides to kind of screw everyone, like it's possible that they can. They have the ability to screw over all their customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they will, but I, but no. I, it's, <laughs> it's, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. So my point is, is that you know, if you don't trust any third parties, then you need to have cryptographic custody. And that's what makes blockchain applications and DeFi kind of uh, the domain of nerds and it's very complicated, right? So, um, you know, I think what's going to increasingly happen over the next few years is that we're going to have kind of blockchain as a uh, kind of a global system of record, you know, and that, that, but at the same time, I think largely consumers will use trusted custodial services, right? Just like they used to, you know, but I think that that people will be able to withdraw things, you know, off the service, right? Because the thing that I think is important about the ability, like I said about freedom at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. the ability to leave, right? Basically means I can withdraw from the system and then I can kind of have a decent option of a place to go, right? So the thing that's interesting about this becomes you know, uh, for example, let's say for whatever reason, Facebook, uh, like just imploded, right? So the question becomes, well, what about all my posts? And what about all my images? And what about all my data? What about all my social graph? What about all my friends? And, you know, like, can I just take all of that with me and go to another really nice place where I can get the same thing? It's like, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and uh, you can't, right? Because it's controlled by Facebook, the company which by the way, became a trillion dollar company recently. So that's- I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp. If you want to take advantage of a special promo, BetterHelp is offering all Success Story podcast listeners. Go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary. Betterhelp.com slash S-C-O-T-T-C-L-A-R-Y. So what is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is therapy, for lack of a better term. It's the best way to give yourself routine, maintenance for your mental and emotional well-being and the best way to think about therapy is usually through analogies we always get our cars tuned to prevent bigger issues down the road we get annual checkups and we go to the gym to maintain physical health so that we don't get out of shape we want to prevent injury we want to prevent disease we do chores regularly so they don't all pile up and have a huge giant mess in your house by the end of the week going to therapy is like all of the above It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're investing in yourself and keeping your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy from the comfort of your home. It offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You communicate the way you feel comfortable. 
It is so much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start speaking to somebody in under 48 hours. Take care of your mind before any more bad stuff happens. Success Story is sponsored by BetterHelp. You get 10% off if you use this specific URL to sign up for your first session. So go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, and you will get 10% off BetterHelp. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the CRM that you have to have for your business. And whatever your business is up to, your CRM platform should be ready. Why? Because believe it or not, CRM platforms are no longer just a selling tool. They're the heart of building and scaling your business with tools for marketing, sales, customer service, content management, and operations the HubSpot CRM platform is fully customizable for whatever your business needs. Use HubSpot to meet customer demand, align your teams, work smarter, not harder, scale up without having the need to slow down. With total control and over 650 integrations, HubSpot enables your team to succeed no matter how big or how small. Whether you're just getting started or looking for a robust system, HubSpot is the number one CRM for scaling businesses. Learn more about how you can customize your CRM platform at HubSpot.com. Did they? Oh, that's yes. news. I, I didn't they, know that. When was that? They, uh, very recently. So Oof, okay. past, in the past week. So, you know, that's incredible. So a, it is. It's been uh, yeah. nine years since the IPO and 17 since inception. So, you know, it's a 2004 era company. But, uh, you know, it's but the point is, is that, you know, they are they are a monopolist. And be, because of that, you know, people feel like they don't have freedom and they don't have anywhere to go. And, you know, if they become deplatformed, then they don't really have any option. Right. So that, mm -hmm. that's a that's a, that's kind of a currently a, a, an issue that people are working on. Uh, so, you know, I, I think we have a ways to go in terms of replacing the whole Internet with blockchain. But, you know, we're we're working on it. <laughs> now do you feel like so applications applications aside because the the evolving application environment i find is very interesting but like you said we're still early stages which is sad because to me that's the real utility of, of blockchain but obviously that's not what most people look at blockchain as they look at blockchain as okay i want to invest and i want to make you know x percent return um yeah where do you think the market is is standing in terms of uh investment opportunity of course not not uh not a, not a recommendation just you know for entertainment purposes i'm curious as to your opinion if this growth of the market is sustainable or if there has to be again like mass adoption milestones that have to hit so the whole market can continue to sort of grow at this trajectory uh i i've become a little bit leery of kind of mass adoption you know mass adoption is a little bit like democracy like it's it's pretty nice kind of in theory, but mm -hmm. without education, it can have, it has a dark side to it, right? Which is, you know, I think our last attempt at mass adoption featured like a bunch of, you know, Doge coins and- Yeah, I know. That's, so that's not the mass adoption we need. No, it's not, not that, that's not what we need, right? What we need is, you know, we certainly need all of those people to come back, right? But we need them to come back smarter. Right. Yeah. Like, like we need them to have learned a lesson. Right. And it's, it's a bit like, you know, a training. A, I mean, you know, it's, it's a little insulting to t talk about 
people in the context of a dog, but you know, hopefully, you know, they got swatted in the it's, nose. It's an analogy, newspaper. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, hopefully they're, they're going to come back a little smarter, you know, and and some of them won't come back at all, right? So the lesson that a lot of people may have learned is, oh, uh, you know, cryptos are bad, right? Mm -hmm. And that they may have learned that lesson, you know, but yeah, you know, I think everyone will eventually come back, you know, because it's my theory that. Uh, all of these systems, like all they do is they constantly experience developer improvement and they just evolve. And the one that serves the most people the best is is going to, you know, just become bigger and bigger and bigger and harder and harder to kind of, uh, you know, bec it will become unstoppable. So like, you know, I think that in a way, like one segment that I think is fascinating is this uh, gaming segment called Play to Earn. So uh, if you that? go in, if you go into uh, YouTube and you type play to earn documentary, you're actually going to learn something really fascinating, which is that there's a there's a, a blockchain game called Axie Infinity. Right. And in this most recent month, the game actually generated eight and a half million dollars of profit. Right. And and. This is really interesting when you start to think about it because that's an IPO level of, mm -hmm. of right that's like a 100 million dollar annual revenue rate right so it's it's if it were a company uh and not a decentralized network you know it would it would be able to IPO um and effectively what's happening is that people in places like the Philippines and Indonesia are playing this game Axie and they're basically playing to earn like a living Right. And and so that's one of the things that's incredible about this phenomenon is is that people went during COVID from driving a taxi to driving these little video things called axes, you know, and and they're and they're actually making more money doing that than they were doing things on on you know, so when you when you wanna talk about things like mass adoption and you wanna talk about, you know, infrastructure, you know, and rules and consent. Right. The thing that I think is fascinating is that this is a system that is definitely serving the people who are using it, you mm -hmm. know, and so that's that's an astonishing kind of uh, growth. And, uh, you know, we we my fund invested in a, like a gamer guild and this guild is it, their entire goal is to collect players of this game and effectively rent them the game pieces so that they can play the game and earn money. So it's mm. it's it's really this absolutely wild and incredible frontier. Uh but if you if you understand the size of what we're talking about economically, it's not only is it already massive, but you know, it's it's probably going to become 10x bigger. So, you know, it's it's truly uh, you know, so that that's an impressive corner of the world uh you know I, I guess what i wanted to say is i wanted to say that this is such a strange place to look for mass adoption but to me you have to look in the application arena right which is you have to look at people using it because they want to right and the thing that's really interesting is is it turns out that these players are willing to jump through the complicated hoops of custody and self-custody of blockchain assets. And the reason they, they're willing to jump through those hoops is, is that's how they put 
groceries on the table for their families, right? So it's, you know, it's like, should I learn how to do this blockchain stuff? It's existential. Like, it's basically yeah. like, oh, COVID hit my family. We don't have a, any jobs. Like, what do we do? You know, so now they've, now they've joined this metaverse economy and they're playing this game and, you know, it's, it's really like a rocket ship. So that, that thing is very powerful. Very interesting. So it's, you know, I hear what you're saying. It's less about, it's less about global mass adoption, which is almost uh, an, like almost like a, a goal that's a little bit too large to even understand. And it's more about, so the applications that we are investing in, rolling out, they're serving, they're serving the communities that actually want to use them effectively to, to quite literally like to change lives at this point yes that's... yes that's the thing that's amazing right is that yeah. is that regardless of what you want to say this this firm uh yield guild has has tilted up 2000 to date players of this game and 2000 people's lives have already been changed right and and mm -hmm. people are like buying houses and they're you know they're definitely being transformed by their participation in this economic network right so you know it's it's a stunning realization you know, and the reason why these things matter so much is because the idea is, is that there are only a few ways for these so-called games to end, right? Like one way to end is that somehow the rules were not fair, right? And then that, so that the end of that game is what's called rage quit, right? Where people just are like, okay, this sucks, <laughs> I'm out, right? So that's one, right? Um, but so what if the game continues to be fair, right? If the game continues to perpetually be fair, Right. Then the question becomes, what are people getting out of it? And if they're getting something valuable out of it, then they'll stay. Right. As long as, the, you know, the only situation where someone will leave a system that's been fair to them, that's producing benefits to them, is that they actually find a better system. Right. They find a system that's almost exactly like this one that's serving them so well, except it has this improvement that serves mm -hmm. them even better. Right. That's when they would leave. Right. But to me, like, that would be great too, right? So you know that essence, would be great too, but but they're on the bleeding edge right now. Like we're now we're now we're dabbling in, in human psychology, <laughs> and absolutely, and, and why human psychology will by by this definition, I don't disagree with you, is going to almost guarantee the the future progression of this this entire. I don't want to call it an industry because it's not an industry, but this movement, if you want to yeah, call agree. it that. Agree, agree, no, agree, agree, right? Which is that ultimately the thing that matters is freedom and fairness right mm -hmm. and and the reason why those things matter is because it turns out that people naturally it, it, so it, it, to me there's there the everyone knows that there's something a little wrong with the economy the way it is mm -hmm. right it's a bit like when you're watching the movie the matrix right and they have this kind of <laughs> yeah. idea that that something is bothering everyone right and in a sense what's bothering people about this economy is that it is extractive right so it, essentially it the economy performs an extractive function on everyone in it right so the thing that's really interesting is the transition to an ownership economy right and so the thing that's very interesting is that an ownership economy is inherently disruptive right because it's offering ownership to people who've never had ownership Right. So it basically is saying the user of a system is an owner of the system and that mm -hmm. that user then gets the profit share of being an owner. 
And if you if you describe a system like that, Bitcoin is exactly that, right? Which is Bitcoin is a basically reserve bank and a reserve asset. And the percentage of Bitcoins that you own represent your share ownership of the bank of Bitcoin. And you will become the beneficiaries of the profits of said bank of Bitcoin, right? And so, you know, in, in essence, that's the ownership economy in a nutshell. And it doesn't matter if you have like one Satoshi, which is like the smallest possible divisible unit of Bitcoin, or if you have 10 Bitcoins, like you're going to be treated fairly according to, you know, what, what's pari passu, according to the amount that you own is the amount that you share, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a perfect cooperative model. So, so what I really wanted to say is that's why I kind of really hold out hope for these systems because the systems by their nature are forced to compete for consent, right? And so to me, the thing that's fascinating is, is that um, part of the evolution of like human society is to kind of become smart about offering your consent, right? So, so you know, in a way, I think that's one of the problems right now is that people are offering their consent to systems that are not serving them, you know, and they're not really smart about like why they're doing that, right? They're not, they're, they haven't really sussed out like, why does this system get my consent? And why does this system, you know, not, right? And so I think people haven't kind of understood that, you know, that's, that's, what they need to do. And and obviously like this this is part of the entirety of human existence, right? Which is we enter into systems where we don't understand the system and we figure it out and then maybe we leave, right? Like that's almost the same with human relationships where you're basically like I'm entering into this system, you know, I don't really even know what the rules are and maybe we're making up the rules as we go along, you know. But yeah. at some point you may be like I don't like it here anymore. You know, and obviously, if you have the ability to go to some place that's safe and equivalently good, then you're free to do so. And that that's that's what I think is, uh, you know, going to drive the growth of this. Amazing, Miko. I feel like um, I feel like you you could go on for a while about a variety of topics. <laughs> I don't want to, I, I that was that. You know what? Let's. You know, we, we this is like a, a nice little primer into the philosophy and psychology that drives blockchain um yep. applications DeFi. i really appreciate it um i want to i always like to go into a little bit of like rapid fire to pull out some life lessons out of yep. your career because you obviously have had an incredible one before before i pivot um was there yep. anything else that you wanted to go into or bring up that we didn't touch on you know no i mean i think i think we're good uh let's let's go straight <laughs> straight in i appreciate it amigo so thank you so much okay so let's do a couple rapid fire um just to pull it from your career. So over the course of your career, uh, the biggest challenge that you had and how did you overcome this challenge? Yeah, I would say this, right? Which is I spent a really long time not understanding like who my boss was, right? Which is I, I used to be under this impression. So like, uh, you know, like when I was a kid, like, I, you know, I had a really strong dad. He had a lot of strong opinions. He was kind of like hot headed, you know? And so in a way, like I kind of found myself falling into a pattern where I would think my boss was like the next kind of hot headed kind of impatient guy that I could find. Right. But eventually what I figured out is I figured out that my boss is actually two things. It's, it's sort of uh, my personal nature 
right? Mm -hmm. Which is, what is it that I'm best at and put on this world to do, right? And, and like universal nature, right? Which is what what is the world up to? What is the world trying to do, right? So if that's something that I call the big idea. So if you look at someone like a Steve Jobs, I definitely don't compare myself to him, but like, you know, but if you look at him, like his big idea was what's called personal computing, right? That's a big idea. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody and even Steve didn't know at the time when he was talking about it, how personal computing could, could become. It's insanely personal. Like it knows it knows way more things about you than even you know about yourself, right? Like it's it's ridiculous what these things know. But you know, to me, that's kind of what one of my well, one of my biggest challenges, right? Because you know, in a sense, we all because of my experience with my dad, like like I, I always said about being a follower and having a dependence on things like influencers. Like my dad was the greatest influencer in my life. He wasn't on YouTube, but like he was an influencer, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so in a way my dependence on him and my psychological dependence kind of like, you know, it, it was it, it really was a pretty big barrier for me, you know. And what I ended up realizing is I ended up realizing my boss is like whatever my personal nature is and how can i align that with like what the world is doing right because if, if you can align your gifts with what the world needs or wants like you're you're all set like that you know like you're, you're gonna go a lot further than if you sort of are, are looking for someone to become dependent on that's that's very good advice very very good <laughs> advice um what i know we've gone over a few but what is the biggest misconception about blockchain, let's say, uh, that you potentially had or you've seen that you just wanted to to sort of clear the air on? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, the biggest thing is, is I, you know, I touched on it before, right? Which is that the idea that we can depend on someone else is something that we've been like struggling with for, for a long time. Like if you if you watch The Wizard of Oz, Right, the whole movie is about finding this wizard that's going to fix everything, right? So, like in a, in essence, that one of the things that really kind of gets in my craw is is that people want to just passively be told what to do, right? They they they're, mm. they're just kind of like tell me what to buy, you know, and then they just buy it, right? And it, that's so toxic, right? Like to me, the thing that people really need to do is they need to make up their own minds. There was an incredible tweet by Dan Moorhead of Pantera. And he basically showed this beautiful graph on Twitter. And it showed that what you ought to do is you ought to buy Bitcoins when, when there's blood running in the streets and everybody's kind of in a panic, right? And then you ought to hold on to it, you know, and then you got to sell it whenever people are going bananas <laughs> about like some stupidity of like, yeah. you know, I don't know what it is, right? So, yeah. so you know, it, it, so my point is, is that is that being your own person, is 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 that's the kind of absolute core lesson right which is that you have to have your opinion and you have to develop your opinion and you have to have enough patience to to actually study and and, and look at things and learn things you know as opposed to just kind of asking people what to what they should buy you know like that that doesn't that that can't work and and shouldn't it won't it won't end well <laughs> yes um as, as we've seen as we've seen multiple times um okay uh, what is the lesson that you would tell your younger self? Yeah, I guess the only thing that I, I think is really important to communicate is, is that 
you know, I think that you should manage your energies and not necessarily as much your time. And I think because it turns out that your time is non-fungible and it turns out that your convictions are non-fungible, right? So in essence, like it means that you need to develop your own convictions because that's how you really are able to kind of do do things your way and you know so so to me like that's the most precious thing right and i think the other thing that's really important if i had a time machine is just to be reassuring right which is you know i think if i'm talking to my former self like um you know i i would just say like don't worry too much about it right like if you <laughs> if you're if you're if you really feel like you're on your path you're doing the things that people are kind of genuinely excited to see you do, right? If they're like, keep doing that or or good job with that or whatever. If someone, if people, if you're getting a lot of positive feedback about something that you're doing, like write it down and just keep sharpening that and keep focusing on that. Cause like, you know, that's the, you know, cause that's your nature coming out, mm -hmm. right? And and I think people who are kind of trying to buckle down and, and do things that are against their nature, like that, that's not, gonna end well i think very good um who is one person who had an incredible impact on your life and what was that impact what did they teach you ah it's really uh it's a it's a really incredible question i this is kind of a bizarre answer but like uh no bizarre uh, answers. Ho uh ho homer the epic poet uh from yeah. ancient greece so you know my favorite book in college was the iliad and like in a way it's about like getting pissed off, you know, at the man, you know, it's a, it's a bit about kind of like, uh, you know, loot and loot dramas, you know, it's about kind of fairness, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's really like, it's really also about a person who's unable to work. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think everyone in this extractive economy that's paying any attention will come to a point where they stop being able to work. And I think that's, that's really uh, a deeply instructive story from from Bronze Age ancient Greece. So you know, I would say that like you know, Homer, if it was actually a single person, is like a a big a big influence. <laughs> Very good. Um, can you recommend a book or a podcast that people go check out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the cheap shot is my own, which is miko.com slash bits. And but I think if I were to recommend a book, I would recommend the book of Satoshi, which is the Satoshi Nakamoto collected writings. That's a that's an awesome book. Uh, you know, and definitely, uh, I think the best possible place to learn about blockchain and Bitcoin is from books, because books take a long time to write. So like, you know, you, they're not going to uh, tell you to buy a Dogecoin or something. They're going to actually <laughs> like, you know, it's going to actually be a deeper uh, understanding of the phenomenon. And that, you know, that's 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 going to be good. I like the little Bitcoin book. That's a great book. And uh, for Bitcoiners. And, you know, so I think uh, those are great places to kind of educate yourself. Very good. And then um, last question, what does success mean to you? Yeah, I think success absolutely has to do with that perfect, these perfect moments. And the perfect moments are the perfect alignment between what you're supposed to do and what you're meant to do, like your own nature and universal nature, right? Because if you see some crazy guy in the Olympics doing something weird like the triple jump, right? 
like it's that crazy combination of a person whose legs are kind of abnormally long they go all the way up to his <laughs> neck you know and so it's sort of you're seeing a person who's like designed to do the triple jump right and then <laughs> yeah. but at the same time that person has like worked their ass off to to do that right so so what do people do when they see that what they do is they just instantly think like go get them like they just they're they, everyone wants to support that person right because they're just like that's incredible like i can't believe my eyes like that person just went like 30 meters in three jumps or it's just it's insane what people can do right so like if you are able to kind of express your actual nature of who you are you know and you're able to align that with stuff that's happening out in the world like you you will be unstoppable you'll become a force of nature so that that i think is you know, that, that would be my closing comment is, you know, you got to find out what that is for you. I love that. And then, um, you mentioned, you mentioned your podcast, but your socials, your website podcast, where can people go connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. The easiest thing is Miko.com is my website, M-I-K-O.com. All my socials jump off from there, my show, everything else. So it's awesome. easy, easy to find. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate 
on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.